0: Welcome to the Christ Walk Podcast. At Christ Walk Church, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Christ Walk. How is everybody doing today? Nice. I love it, I love it. Love the energy coming from the room this morning. Hey, if you got your Bible, you got a smart device, I wanna invite you to turn with me or swipe with me to the Gospel of Matthew. The Bible's divided up into these two large sections. You got the Old Testament up front. And then the second big section of scripture is the New Testament. And right there at the beginning of the New Testament, we have four books that we call the Gospels. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we call those books the Gospels. Because gospel means good news, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all tell the story, the good news of Jesus Christ, his life and his teachings. And so we're going to look at part of that today in the gospel of Matthew, the very first book of the New Testament. We're going to be in chapter 18, and we will jump into that in just a minute. So I was recently reading some uh, some articles, news articles, some different things online, and I stumbled across this article that said the the top three ways to offend somebody in 2019. And I thought, well, this is interesting. So I started to read the list. The number one on the list was to like the president. If you like the president, that is the number one way to offend somebody in 2019. Number two was to dislike the president. If you dislike the president, you will also offend people in 2019. And number three, rounding off the list was simply to be the president. So if you like him, if you dislike him, if you are him, chances are you're going to offend someone in 2019. So by by a show of hands, who here in the room has ever been offended, ever had their feelings hurt, ever been taken advantage of, mistreated by someone else, done wrong by another person, anybody all right, I'm talking to a few people here this morning. You should all have your hand raised. And, and that article, you know, it, it kind of makes light of kind of the direction that our society has, has, has gone in, you know, over the past um, few decades at least. And, and it seems like people in our current society, like, we're just out looking for ways to be offended, And then we turn those offenses into weapons that we then aim at other people. And it goes back to the the old adage that hurt people hurt people. See, in in our culture, in our society, in, in the world that we live in today, particularly here in the United States, we have people that are offended that other people are getting offended and we have people that are offended that other people aren't getting offended. And then at the end of the day, we just have people that are just offended. And see, I believe that all of this offense and this anger and this hurt and jealousy and bitterness that's flying around, that it starts at the root of some deeply seated issues that many of us have never addressed along the way. Maybe someone that we once trusted lied to us. Maybe someone that we considered to be a close friend said hurtful things about us. Maybe our spouse cheated on us. Maybe a friend or a family member abused us. And the list goes on and on and on. And these these issues and, and others like them have gone unaddressed. And because of that, they've been allowed to take root in our hearts. And over the years, our unwillingness or our inability to let go of these offenses, it's allowed them to turn into poison, which we now spew on the world around us. And because we haven't learned or been willing to let go of these kinds of things, all we know instead is offense and to offend other people. But what if there was a way that we could overcome these wounds and get to a place of healing? Rather than using that venom for destruction, what if we were able instead to become agents of peace and reconciliation and rather than spewing venom and death on everyone around us, instead bring life to those that we come in contact with? Well, today we're in part four of a series that we've called You Asked For It. And just like the video said back at Easter, we gave everybody that was in attendance an opportunity to fill out a brief survey that They were able to list questions or check some boxes of some different topics related to the Bible that they would like to know more about or to hear a message on. And so we gathered all the data, we crunched all the numbers, and over the past few weeks, we've been addressing the most requested questions and topics. Back in part one of our series, we answered the question, how can I have hope in the midst of a fallen, broken world? And together we learned that we were not meant to be in control of everything, but rather we were meant to put our trust in the one who is, and that because of Jesus, the best is yet to come for us. In part two, we answered the question, how can I handle stress? And it was there that we talked about God's institution of the Sabbath day. And we learned that we could either live life distressed or we could live life de-stressed. And that often the difference between those two kinds of lifestyles boiled down to a good nap, a nutritious meal, an encounter with God, and then God-ordained friendships and relationships Last week, my good friend, Pastor Trevor Heineman from Canton Church in Canton, Georgia, he was here with us and and he spoke and he helped us to answer the question, how can I know God's will for my life? He talked about the four men from the gospel accounts who found a paralytic man and, and took him to a home where Jesus was teaching and ministering to people and because they couldn't get him in, they had to cut a hole in the roof of the house and lower the man down through the ceiling in order to get him To Jesus. And we learned that discovering God's will in our lives starts with us beginning each day with the attitude of God, take these hands, these feet, this mouth, this tongue, these lips, this mind, this body, everything that I am, and use it to minister to others, to bring honor to you, and to point others in your direction. And, and by the way, if, if you weren't here last week to hear that message, you haven't heard it. I would encourage you get online, go to our podcast, go to our YouTube channel and check that out because it was an incredible life-changing message and you're going want to you're going to want to hear that. It was so good. So I'd encourage you to do that um, But this week we're in part four, and so we're closing out the You Asked For It series, and we're going to discuss a topic today that along with hope, what we talked about the first week of this series, um, it was the most requested topic out of anything else. Those two things, hope and today's topic. And the surprising part about today's topic is that it's a topic that most people want to seem to avoid at all costs and, and it's one that we don't talk about near enough in church or outside of it for that matter. And this topic, it can be summed up in one word, but often when we use that word, it makes people squirm in their seats. And so today, I, just get ready because today, right here, we're gonna talk about the F word. All right, and so go ahead and buckle up your seatbelts. And just prepare yourself because I'm getting ready to say it, okay? Because I think it's important that right here at the beginning of the message that we just get it out there in the open so that we all know what we're talking about, all right? On the count of three, one, two, I'm gonna say it, three, forgiveness, forgiveness. I feel so much better having said that, gotten it out. As a matter of fact, I think that you'll feel better too if you say it. So on the count of three, let's say it together. One, two, three, forgiveness. Man, forgiveness. It's an awkward topic. Makes people uncomfortable. We like the idea of it up until it comes to the point where we have to do it. We have to practice it. And that's why it makes it so uncomfortable for us. The good news is, is the Bible is chock full of instances where forgiveness is discussed. And in today's passage, there's no different. Um, Let's jump in together to Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to start with verse 21. My Bible reads this way. It says, then Peter, who's one of the disciples, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, when my fellow believer sins against me, how many times must I forgive him? Should I forgive him as many as seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, you must forgive him more than seven times. You must forgive him even if he wrongs you 70 times seven. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who decided to collect the money his servants owed him. And when the king began to collect his money, a servant who owed him several million dollars was brought to him, but the servant did not have enough money to pay his master, the king. So the master ordered that everything the servant owned should be sold, even the servant's wife and children. Then the money would be used to pay the king what the servant owed. But the servant fell on his knees and begged, be patient with me and I will pay you back everything I owe. The master felt sorry for his servant and told him he did not have to pay it back. And then he let the servant go free. Later, that same servant found another servant who owed him a few dollars. The servant grabbed him around the neck and said, pay me the money you owe me. The other servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you everything I owe. But the first servant refused to be patient. He threw the other servant into prison until he could pay everything that he owed. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were very sorry. So they went and told their master all that had happened. Then the master called his servant in and said, you evil servant, because you should have showed mercy to that other servant, just as I showed mercy to you. The master was very angry and put the servant in prison to be punished until he could pay everything he owed. This king, Jesus said, did what my heavenly father will do to you if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. So let me explain a couple things about this passage. And when we talk about forgiveness, we need to understand first and foremost that it begins right here. Forgiveness is at its very root, at its very core, it is a heart issue. That's how Jesus closes out that passage. He talks about the direct connection, the correlation between forgiveness, the practice of it, and our heart, the the very central part of our being, who we are. And so it is a, it's a heart condition. And, and Peter, he comes to Jesus with a legitimate question. He wants to know, hey, when someone else does me wrong, when they offend me, when they sin against me, when they hurt my feelings, when they cause me trouble, how many times should I forgive them? And as he often does, Jesus then, he answers the question by telling a story or what a lot of times, especially in the church circle, in Christian circles, we refer to as parables. And so he'll tell a story to answer a question and to explain a principle. And so that's what's happened right here. So Peter asks this question. He says, Jesus, when someone has caused me an offense, when they've done me wrong, when they've sinned against me, how many times should I forgive them? And then Peter throws out seven times. Now, the reason that's important is because there was a rabbinic teaching at the time that was within the Jewish, uh, uh, the Jewish faith um, and, and people that belonged to, um, you know, to, to those, that belief structure that many rabbis taught that you only had to forgive somebody three times. That if they've caused you that same offense, that you forgive them three times and then if it happens again, you kind of wash your hands of it and that you're free to go on about your business and you no longer have to forgive them. But Peter, he's been around this thing for a little bit. He's seen kind of how Jesus operates. And I think Peter might have been wanting to play teacher's pet a little bit right here. And so he goes to Jesus and he puts this scenario out there. And he says, let's say someone offends me, causes ill will towards me hurts me, sins against me, how many times should I forgive them? And knowing that the rabbinic teaching would have been three times, Peter's like, what do you think, seven times? Because that's awful generous, right? Like three and then seven, that's that's double and then plus one. So Peter's feeling really good about himself right now. He's like, Jesus is going to like this. He's going he's gonna to commend me in front of everybody else. Like I could see like the vision in Peter's head, him standing in front of the other 11 and Jesus saying, guys, this is really who you need to aspire to be. Because in a world where three times forgiveness was enough, he suggested seven whole times. But instead, Jesus comes back and he says, no, no. You shouldn't just forgive that person seven times. You should forgive, forgive them, in my translation, 70 times seven. In some translations, your translation, whatever you're reading, might say 70 and seven or 70 plus seven. So we've got two numbers here. We've got 77 times, or if it's 70 times seven, we've got 490 times. And the amount that Jesus is talking about here, it's, it's not the important issue. There's no real argument between the two. What Jesus is saying is that our forgiveness towards other people, it needs to be extravagant. It needs to be over and above. It needs to be unlimited. In a world where some were preaching three, Peter's suggesting seven, he's saying 77 or 70 times seven. It was like an unthinkable amount of forgiveness that should be extended to other people. And then Jesus, he tells this story of this servant who owed a king a great sum of money, begged for forgiveness, was let off the hook, and then went out into the street and found someone else who owed him just a little bit of money and held him to account for that instead. And so I I did some math and I I looked up kind of some, some answers because I really wanted to know what we were dealing with here. And and as best I could find that the difference in these amounts that were owed in the story that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 18, the difference was around 600,000 to one. That's what we're talking about here, okay? And so I I crunched some numbers, and if my math is correct, so minimum wage here in Florida is $8.46, So you multiply that times an eight-hour day and you come up with $67.68 because what we're talking about here is roughly a day's wage that was owed to this servant by the other servant. But yet at $600,000 to one, if if the day's wage that was owed him was $67.68 at $600,000 to one, that would mean that he owed the king approximately $40,608,000. And so what we're talking about here in this story that Jesus is telling and to, to help put this into perspective for everyone is that the servant had a debt in excess of $40 million forgiven. Wiped clean, eradicated, gone. But yet he was unwilling to forgive someone else's debt to him of about $70. Here's the principle that Jesus is conveying. If you're taking notes, write this down. We are to forgive anything because Jesus has forgiven everything. We are to forgive anything because Jesus has forgiven everything. There simply are no contingencies. God has forgiven us way more times and of way more things than you and I will ever have the opportunity to forgive someone else. So we are to forgive anything because Jesus has forgiven everything. In fact, Paul wrote about this in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter four, verse 32. He said, be kind and loving to each other and forgive each other just as God forgave you in Christ. But you and I have a choice. At the end of the day, we can choose to not live this way. And you know what? I hear a lot of people, and I'm not talking about outside the church. I hear a lot of people inside the church, Christ followers, at least they claim to be, and I hear them say things like this. I'll never be able to forgive them for what they did. What? They say those things. I could never forgive them for what they did to me. The pain that they caused, the hurt that they caused. And when I lean into that, when I press into that, this this is what often comes back. People say things like, you don't understand. You can't imagine what it feels like. You have no idea what they said about me. You have no idea what they did to me. You have no idea how they hurt my family. And it's true. They're right. I don't. I can't. Imagine how some of you have been hurt by other people. And I don't know, and I can't know, but Jesus knows. He understands. He feels your pain. He's walked through it before. He was treated in the same way and and even worse my people. And when he hung on the cross, what did he ask? Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And here's what he said in Mark chapter 11. Jesus said, when you are praying, if you are angry with someone, forgive him so that your father in heaven will also forgive your sins. But if you don't forgive other people, if you make that choice, If you don't forgive other people, then your father in heaven will not forgive your sins. So it's clear from what Jesus is saying here and the example that he has put forth for us to follow that that our ability to be forgiven of the sins and offenses that we have caused is directly tied to our willingness to forgive other people. And when we hold on to the hurts that someone else has caused us, then we cannot receive the forgiveness that Jesus has to offer. Because we're holding on to the hurt caused by someone else, our hand is closed. But if we let go of that, our hand becomes open so that we can receive the forgiveness and blessing that our Heavenly Father wants to extend to us. Lewis B. Smead said this. He said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free. And to discover that the prisoner was you. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't mean that you need to forgive other people that have hurt you and then like be best friends. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? You're only responsible for no longer holding them accountable for the offense that they have caused. But that doesn't mean that for someone that is hurting you over and over and over again, that you need to continue to allow them to be part of your life. Here's what Rick Warren said in his book, The Purpose Driven Life. He said, forgiveness must be immediate whether or not a person asks for it. Trust must be rebuilt over time. Trust requires a track record. If someone hurts you repeatedly, you are commanded by God to forgive them instantly, but you are not expected to trust them immediately. And you are also not expected to continue allowing them to hurt you. See, there's a difference here you can let go and move on. You can forgive and move past that, but you don't have to forgive and then keep putting yourself in this situation to just be hurt over and over and over. But when you are hurt, you must forgive. And maybe right now you're thinking, you know, this sounds good and all. Like, I mean, the, like the concept of forgiveness, but, Like, I don't know, Pastor Blake, I don't know if you've ever tried this or not, but like, have you actually ever like attempted to forgive somebody? Like, it's hard, right? When someone's done wrong to you, when they've hurt you, it is hard. So so how can we actually do this? Maybe that's what you're thinking right now. Maybe that's the question that you're asking right now. How can I begin to practice forgiving other people who have hurt me? And so as we close out the message today, I wanna give you just a few practical steps. In fact, there are four of them. And if you're taking notes, I wanna encourage you to write them down. And you need to know that these steps, they may not be one and done, okay? Because someone has hurt you. Let's say that you apply these four steps to that situation that doesn't necessarily mean that it's all gonna be fine. Like it may be something that you have to apply these steps to over and over and over each and every day, multiple times a day. But like, if you keep walking through this, this will get you on the path toward being able to forgive and being able to move on with your life. It may take you days, weeks, months, years, or even the rest of your life. But this is the process towards moving down the path toward forgiveness. And I believe that if you will begin, if we will begin to implement these kinds of steps in our life, that we'll discover that forgiveness is possible and we'll begin to see it realized in our life, all right? So these four steps, they were inspired by blog posts that I I read by uh, Pastor Rick Warren who wrote The Purpose Driven Life. So I just wanna share them with you. Number one, realize that nobody is perfect. Practical steps toward forgiving others, number one, realize that nobody is perfect. When it comes to forgiving someone else and, and, and you're, you're coming up against a barrier to be able to forgive them, the first thing that you need to do is take a long, hard look in the mirror. Look at yourself Think about the things that you've done. Think about the offenses that you've caused. Think about your desire to have other people that you have hurt to forgive you and then turn that back to the situation at hand and realize nobody's perfect except for my wife and Jesus. <laughs> Nobody is per- Did I say that the way that you wanted me to say that? It was in my notes in your handwriting. I just wanted to be sure that I covered that. (laughs) Nobody's perfect. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Surely there is not a good person on earth who always does good and never sins. Romans 3.23, Everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. That everyone, when you look it up in the Greek, it means everyone. All of us. There are none of us that are perfect. And at some point in our life, we are going to cause offense to someone else and we're going to need them to extend us grace and forgiveness in return. So how can we expect it from someone else if we're unwilling to give it to other people in the first place? Number one, realize that nobody's perfect. Number two, resist your desire for revenge. You knew it was coming resist your desire for revenge. Man, revenge feels good. It does. But a wise man once said, a man who desires revenge should dig two graves. Because not only does it hurt that other person, not only does it maim that other person, not only does it kill that other person, but it destroys us in the process. The fact of the matter is, how can we hold someone else accountable or, or make them pay for a sin that Jesus has willingly forgiven? Doesn't make sense. In Romans 12, Paul wrote, he said, If someone does wrong to you, do not pay him back wrong or by doing wrong to him. Try to do what everyone thinks is right. Do your best to live in peace with everyone. My friends, Do not try to punish when others or others when they wrong you, but wait for God to punish them with his anger. It is written, I will punish those who do wrong. I will repay them. That that means that it's it's his responsibility, not yours. But you should do this. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Doing this will be like pouring burning coals on his head. Do not let evil defeat you, but defeat evil by doing good. That brings us to number three. First off, realize that nobody's perfect. Number two, resist your desire for revenge. Number three, respond to evil with good. Respond to evil with good. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, but I say to you who are listening, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who are cruel to you. If anyone slaps you on one cheek, offer him the other cheek too. If someone takes your coat, do not stop him from taking your shirt. Give to everyone who asks you. And when someone takes something that is yours, don't ask for it back. Do to others what you would want them to do to You, I remember in elementary school, we called that the golden rule. So what do we need to do when someone has caused us offense? Do we need to retaliate with revenge? No, instead we need to pray for that person. We need to pray that the Lord would bless them. And in addition to praying that the Lord would bless them, we need to go and be that blessing. Maybe we need to give them a gift or something something that costs something from us that we do for that person that has hurt us. Because here's what I've discovered. It's really hard to stay mad at someone that you're praying for and blessing financially. It's hard to do that because forgiveness is a heart issue. And so if we're willing to pray for them And not just pray that they would be blessed, but we're willing to pray for them and then go and be that blessing. God will use that to change our hearts toward that person. So number one, realize that nobody's perfect. Number two, resist your desire for revenge. Number three, respond to evil with good. Number four, refocus on God's plan for your life. Refocus on God's plan for your life. We talked about it earlier in this series, but we looked at Jeremiah 29, 11. It says this, most of you probably know this verse. I say this because I know what I'm planning for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you, not plans to hurt you. I will give you hope and a good future. Listen, when it, when it comes to forgiveness, forgiveness, and someone else has done you wrong, they've hurt your feelings, they've, they've sinned against you, they've caused you pain, instead of dwelling on, that, on what that person did to you, shift your focus to what God has done for you, and that'll make all the difference. Instead of focusing on what that person has done to you, shift your focus to what God has done for you. So the truth is, for those of us that have put our hope and our trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we're not going to carry the offenses of other people into eternity with us. So why should we carry them now? Why do we spend so much time holding on to the offenses that people have caused, holding on to things that we are not going to carry with us in eternity? if we can let that go, our life will be so much better and so will theirs. R.T. France said this, I love this quote. If the church is the community of the forgiven, then all its relationships will be marked by forgiveness, which is not a mere form of words, but an essential characteristic Notice he doesn't say that the relationships of the church should be marked by forgiveness. It says they will be marked by forgiveness. We need to take a look in the mirror today. When others look at us, when others look at our relationships, when others look at the way that we operate as representatives of Christ Walk Church and the global church at large, are are they seeing in us a community that is marked by forgiveness? It's a mandate from Jesus himself that we are to forgive so that our heavenly father can in turn forgive us. It's all a part of that loving the Lord your God and loving your neighbor as yourself, keeping both of those relationships intact. So my question for you today is who do you need to forgive? What hurt have you been holding on to that you need to let go of so that you can receive the forgiveness of your Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. Some of us today or this week, we need to have a conversation with our spouse. There's some parents here that maybe today over lunch or tonight over dinner, sometime in the next few days, we need to have a heart to heart conversation with our kids. There's some kids in this room. You may need to have a conversation with your parents. Maybe somebody needs to pick up the phone and call someone who used to be your friend. Maybe you need to go home and bake some cookies, take them to your neighbor. Instead of building fences, build bridges. Please be my neighbor. Cause I could use some cookies. Maybe you just need to invite someone to coffee and sit down and start down that path that leads toward forgiveness. Just let them know, hey, look, you hurt me. I forgive you. Maybe I've hurt you too. Will, will you forgive me as well? It's all gonna start because somebody in this room today takes the initiative to have that tough conversation, to get it out there in the open, to talk about that which we would rather avoid. If we wanna live free, we've gotta be willing to forgive. Here's what I know about forgiveness. Stepping into forgiveness, it can be so scary because you never know when you put yourself out there what you're gonna get in return. But our responsibility is not how someone else responds. Our responsibility is to simply extend forgiveness to those who have hurt us. And yes, it can be a scary place, but our fear doesn't stand a chance when we're standing in the love of Jesus Christ. The offenses that we've taken hold of don't stand a chance. Our hurt doesn't stand a chance. Our guilt, our pain, our shame, it doesn't stand a chance. Unforgiveness does not stand a chance when you and I choose to stand and the love of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we know that we will not be shaken because of what others say about us, what others do to us. Instead, we will stand firmly in the love and the power of Jesus Christ. It's the power to break the chains of unforgiveness in our life. It's the power to heal us from any hurt, that others have caused us. It's the power for us to be set free, to extend forgiveness to others and receive forgiveness from our heavenly father. Because to forgive is to set a prisoner free and realize that all along the prisoner was you. Forgiveness really begins with first admitting that we need to be forgiven. So all over this house, if you would, just bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor Blake, I'm not in a right relationship with the Lord. I know that I'm a sinner that needs to be forgiven. If that's you, would you just make it known just really quickly, just throwing your hand up You can just put it right back down. Is there anyone else? Stick your hand up really quick. Just put it right back down. Anyone else? I invite you to pray this prayer along with me. If that's you today and you want to receive the forgiveness of your heavenly father, you wanna step into a right relationship with him, I invite you to pray this prayer along with me. Heavenly father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Christ died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. And I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you were inspired by the message. For more information, visit www.thechristwalk.com.